guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the podcast. This is Melissa, and you are listening to Mimosa Sisterhood, where we pop bottles and celebrate women's stories. If you are new here, welcome. I hope you stay for the rest of your entire life because we have so much fun on this podcast, all while telling some fascinating stories about the world's greatest women and sometimes the world's most complicated women. And that is what we are doing today. I am very excited to welcome my two favorite podcasters, Leah and Rachel from the Hashtag History Podcast, back on the mic to spit some more scandalous knowledge about history's greatest conspiracies and corruption. And you might remember the last time I welcomed them onto the show, we talked about the Salem witch trials, which you guys clearly loved because it was booming in my stats. But in this episode, we are doing something super cool. We've never done it before. We are talking about a very well-known female figure from history. If you're a Disney fan, you know her well, Anastasia. And we are also talking about her imposter. Creepy! All right, before we get into the episode, I have a couple shout-outs I feel are worth mentioning in today's intro. For all of the people out there that are listening from Chile, South Africa, and Finland, holy moly, I see you. I am so blown away over the fact that Mimosa Sisterhood podcast hit the history charts in all three of those countries over the past couple of weeks. When you hit the history charts, you typically have to be within the first 200 podcasts. And we got all the way down to number 63 in Chile and number 62 in South Africa. And that is unbelievable. Whoa. So huge shout out to all my favorite peeps out there in those three countries. If you are listening, hello, welcome. I hope you stick around. And I would love to hear from the listeners that are listening all over the world. I would love to hear from you guys. I want to know who you are, where you live, how you found this podcast, what you love about it. And if you have any suggestions for women that you would like me to cover that are from your home countries. So uh, reach out. I would love to get an email from you. My email is hello at mimosasisterhood.com or you can send me a direct message on Instagram at mimosasisterhood or even Twitter at mimosahood. But I want to hear from you. I want to say hello. I want to get to know you and I want you to know I see you and I am so freaking stoked that you're here. Okay, well, Enough of me fangirling. 
I want to keep this short so we can get into this super fun episode. But lastly, and as a reminder, if you have been enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a five-star rating and a review if you haven't yet. It is seriously the most fantastic way to help support this show. And it's a huge, huge, huge help in allowing us to find people out there that currently don't know that we exist. I also recently added a new support feature where you guys can sponsor a cocktail that you'd like me to drink live during podcast recording. I actually stole this from Lee and Rachel, the hashtag history girls. They do this on their podcast and it's low-key genius. So I hopped on board and I've now created a way for you guys to sponsor an alcoholic beverage, whether that's a glass of wine, a beer, a cocktail, whatever the case may be, a mimosa. And uh, whatever you sponsor, I will drink in our next episode. I'll give you a really cool, fun, hello, hi, shout out. I'll rate my alcoholic beverage. And uh, basically, you and I will be drinking together live on recording. It will be the coolest thing ever. So if you're interested in supporting to the alcohol fund, you can find that link in the episode description. And it's also in the link in my bio on Instagram. Okay, cool. Can't wait to get drunk with you. All right, let's get into it, guys. This is such a fun episode. You're going to love it. And um, fasten your seatbelts because shit gets freaking weird. Hashtag history is back on the mic. Hello, Leah and Rachel. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thank you for coming back. I am of so course. excited. I don't know if you guys know this, but your episode on the Salem Witch Trials was like one of the best, most downloaded episodes we've oh, had yet. Yay. Oh, how cool. So people were really stoked on it. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, the Salem Witch Trials is fascinating. So, And we're yep. actually going into the perfect time to re-listen or listen to it if you haven't already, because it's about to be spooky, spooky season. season. <laughs> yes. So I'm so stoked you guys are coming back. I was like, everybody loves you guys. You're awesome. You kicked ass. You know your history shit. And we have a super fun themed episode today. Uh, something new that we're doing on the show. Haven't done anything like this before. Just to give a little sneak preview, I'm going to be covering a woman from history. And Rachel and Leah are going to be covering the same person, but sort different. of. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great way to phrase that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, super excited. Thanks for coming back on the show. Um, and you are rocking my mimosa merch. I'm obsessed. I am. I am. I have the adorable hat. I love it so much. We I literally wear it a five out of, of seven days a week. I yeah. I will gladly take a picture. I love it. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. Also. Huge sneak preview. I just got the first draft of my new art illustration for my next (gasps) round of merchandise. And I was obsessed. Maybe I'll show you the first draft after we're done recording so you can guys tell me what you think. I'd love it. Um, But yes, I'm so excited. I have clothing coming next. So t-shirts, tank tops, all that kind of stuff. And 
I wanted to have a design that, like, if you were to go to a bar and, like, look at somebody and be like, oh, my God, how cute is that shirt? Like, where is it from? That was what I wanted the shirt to be. Okay, but let's uh, tell everybody who you guys are again in case they missed the first episode, which we will link in the bio or in the description of this episode so you can catch the Salem Witch Trials if you didn't hear it yet. But remind everybody who you are, what your podcast is about, and, like, what's going on with the pod. Yeah, so we are – well, I'm Leah. I'm Rachel. (laughs) And we are um, the duo that makes up Hashtag History. Uh, It's a podcast all about histories, stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Uh, And we release weekly episodes uh, focused on a different historical event. Yeah, so some of the ones that we've covered before, we just finished a series on the rise and fall of Lance Armstrong, which that one was really fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we've also covered... You know, like you've already mentioned, we cover things like the Salem witch trials or the 1982 Tylenol poisoning. Um, we've covered the Jonestown massacre, the Titanic sinking. We've covered all the things. If it has yeah. an element of history and controversy or conspiracy, we have covered it. Yeah, that's us. And then each week we also do a little, I feel like most history podcasts do this, uh, but we do a little cocktail segment that somehow ties into the story we're focusing on. So it might be named after that historical figure, the cocktail we're drinking, or, you know, if the story takes place in Russia, hint, hint, we might do a Russian inspired cocktail. So um, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's always a fun, fun little thing to do each week as well. And I'm so excited because we're sticking to that same history, conspiracy, controversy today with the women that we're covering. So very excited about that. Um, Getting to the drinks. So last time you guys picked the cocktail and this time it kind of just like sparked into my mind because I was like, well, it's pretty obvious. Let's be real. Today (laughs) we're covering a Russian woman. (laughs) and a fake Russian woman. (laughs) And so I thought it would be great if we had white Russians. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so clever. Yeah. But I've never had one before, and uh, I like it. Yeah, you do? I do. Okay. Okay, good. I I know I made a face earlier when I was drinking it, but it was only because I was, like, getting a strong sip of vodka. It's strong. I made mine a little vodka heavy. Yeah. Um, I've also not had any alcohol in over a week and yeah. I'm recovering from the flu. So this is hitting me stronger than normal. I was going to say, so you might be on the floor by the end of the episode. Okay. Yeah. It's a good thing that you're starting this episode off because for the second half, you may be taking a nap. Oh yeah. yeah. Or I'll be just like super slurring and like not be able to put sentences together. Oh no. Which hopefully I won't struggle to do in my part in the beginning. Well, let's be real. We've all been there. <laughs> Pretty much. So yeah, if anybody's never had a white Russian, I like, I honestly didn't know the ingredients in these things. I know I'd seen a white Russian before. I've like seen somebody drinking it. I've heard of it. But it's basically two parts vodka, two parts Kahlua, which I'd never had Kahlua before. And I had no idea that it was rum and coffee liqueur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never knew what it was, never even thought to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add a splash of cream. Now I'm wondering, can I put Kahlua just in my coffee in the mornings? Oh, yes. I may or may not have done that in the past. Okay. Because <laughs> just... normally I'm like a Bailey's and coffee girl, but 
do we do Baileys and Kahlua and coffee or is it one or the other? How does it work? I don't, I've never done a mixture, so I can't give you a recommendation. <laughs> I have done both though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Highly, highly recommend splashing a bit of this in your morning coffee. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Because when I was telling my boyfriend I was going to make these, he's like, I was like, I got to go get a bottle of Kahlua. We don't have it. He's like, well, get a small one. Like, we're not going to drink that. <laughs> and then I saw it and I'm like, oh, we will be drinking this. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So In fact, I, I brought one. home the family size one. <laughs> yeah, right. I went yeah. to Costco and got like the 65 ounce. No. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love all of the boozy coffee drinks. So I'm excited about this. But like, I'm not going to order this in a bar when I'm out like at no. night. I feel like this is like something you drink with like your grandpa and he's like smoking a cigar. Yeah. If anybody's ever seen The Big Lebowski, then you literally just described it. You're not going to go order this at a bar, but like (laughs) you will drink it with your grandpa Um, (laughs) or like, you know, at the bowling alley with your dad's and all his his friends or something (laughs) like that's where you order a white Russian. (laughs) Do we know if this is typically like a dessert cocktail? I would assume so. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like White Russians are one of those things. And I think it is because it is so tied to the movie The Big Lebowski that like it's kind of like a joke cocktail. Like I don't think people drink it really. But like I drink it when I'm watching The Big Lebowski. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I remember I was dating this guy in high school. So what, like 16 years old. And I remember going to a house party once And I was too afraid to drink because I had to drive home and my parents would like, you know, kill me if I got caught with alcohol in my breath. But I remember this guy I was dating was drinking a white Russian at the party. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Fancy. That's fancy for (laughs) Did he hear about that and think that would be like the proper like high school party cocktail? I love that because the parties that I went to when I was in high school, we were all drinking Coors Light and uh-huh. like bud light like that's all mm-hmm. that's, and and blue moon that's all that was available i remember yeah. blue moon being like my first drink at a party really? and i didn't yeah. go to parties in high school i didn't really either i was kind of the girl chain smoking cigarettes in somebody's garage <laughs> but i did which i don't smoke anymore but i did when i was a re- rebellious child mm-hmm. um but my first cocktail not cocktail my first alcoholic beverage was a 40 of mickey's Oh, mm. <laughs> I think mine was like something tequila related. Oh, and... that's that's brave. Well, yeah, <laughs> I... <laughs> I I think I was in it. I was in it for the the. I I wanted to get shit faced yeah. by because I didn't drink in high school. Like I, you know. I grew up with parents that like let me taste their wine or their beer, or their drinks mm-hmm. a little bit if I wanted to. So I didn't really care. I w- didn't go to parties, so I didn't drink. So I didn't actually like start drinking until I was 20 years old. Nice. So, yeah. The good on bloomer. you. You're probably going to live a lot longer. Probably uh, a good skin. I think I've made up for it since then. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely made up for it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, cheers to our white Russians. Mm-hmm. Cheers. And cheers to Russia. Yeah. And cheers to the Grand Duchess Anastasia Nikolavina of Russia. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, strong warning to everybody out there. I'm so bad at pronunciations, especially um, Russian ones. Mm. So, you know, I'm going to do my best here. 
but that's who that's who I'm gonna be talking about today. Our our history portion of today's episode is the Grand Duchess Anastasia. Mm-hmm. Uh, full name Nikolaevna <laughs> of Russia. Yeah. Um, but she was the last. She was the daughter of the last Russian Tsar, Nicholas II, and her and her family were executed very tragically, and there's rumors that she might have survived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where you guys come in. That is yeah. where we come in, because- <laughs> The conspiracy. What, uh-huh. <laughs> what we will be covering is a woman that for several decades- claim to be the grand duchess anastasia oh is it anastasia technically no. we call it, we <laughs> say anastasia i was thinking of old disney movies remember yeah. anastasia oh, did we all oh, say yeah. anastasia oh, yeah, of course that's, that's why we're all fascinated with her <laughs> yeah anastasia all right yeah let's be proper here no 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 it'd be weird if you were proper <laughs> it sounds snazzier though Let, let's see how long i can do it before the cocktail hits all right all right Okay, so Anastasia was born on June 18th, 1901 in Petrodvets, Russia, and she was the fourth daughter of Tsar Nicholas II and Tsarina Alexandra, which I find fucking hilarious because I didn't know there was a Tsarina. Yeah. So if anybody's confused about what I'm talking about, the proper spelling, you know, when we call like the emperor Tsar, T-S-A-R. Well, the wife is Tsarina, T-S-A-R-I-N-A. <laughs> yeah, it's like king and queen or emperor and empress or I whatever. I didn't know that. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, like, I don't oh. think I had either until we did our research on the, like, I don't remember hearing yeah. that ever. So her mom, her full name was Alexandra Fedorovna. That was her name before she got married. And she was known as the Princess Alex of Hesse. And she later became known as the Empress Alexandra when she married her husband, which was Nicholas II. And he was the last emperor of Russia. And he was part of the Romanov dynasty that had ruled the country for three centuries. Mm -hmm. So they were a big league over here in Russia. And Anastasia, who was known as the Grand Duchess, she was their fourth out of five children. She had three older sisters named Olga, Tatiana, and Maria. And she had a younger brother named Alexei. And thank the Lord he was born because her family was pissed as F when they had their fourth daughter. They were like, mm-hmm. you've got to be kidding me. We have a fourth daughter. What in the world's going on? It was They were outraged because like most royal families, they were desperate for a son who would become the heir of the throne. So thank God baby Alexei came into the play so that... Anastasia wouldn't be the most hated child on earth. <laughs> right. And also so that the Tsarina as well wasn't forever and ever the most hated person because she already was not super well liked for one because she had By the Russians. By yeah. the Russians, thank you. Yeah, because she hadn't birthed a son for so long, right? She also had this thing that I think we would call now resting bitch face. Like a lot of people <laughs> refer to her I, as- I relate. <laughs> A lot of people referred to her as being, like, incredibly introverted and naturally shy, which then kind of gave off this standoffish persona. And then, like Leah already mentioned, too, it was the Russians that didn't love her because she was German. And so many Russians didn't approve of the marriage in the first place. 
got it. Yeah. yeah, there's some weird tensions between Russians and Germans at this time that go actually back even further to um, uh, the great. Oh, my God. Why can't I think of her name? Oh, uh, Victoria. Catherine? Yes, Catherine. Catherine, Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great. <laughs> um, who is actually technically a what we now call Ger- Germany. She was from that area. And they hated her at first. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Like there's weird tensions between Germany and Russia during this whole time period. Um, can we talk about that amazing Hulu series though? <gasps> oh my god, that's what made me inspired my episode to oh, do. Oh really? Yeah, on Al- yeah on um, like Catherine the Great. It was the number so one. So good. Basically, all of my take takeover episodes on our podcast are inspired by like. <laughs> historical fiction shows <laughs> and all ones that i haven't watched because i just get irritated when stuff's not 110 oh. percent accurate <laughs> but i think the good thing about this series is that like it's almost like a satire oh it is yeah 100 yeah, like you can almost like if the history's not 100 percent, you're like well you guys are just fucking around anyway yeah so it does not take itself <laughs> seriously at all. Highly yeah. recommend it. <laughs> I think it's like a good way to kind of get like history haters into history a little bit. Kind of mm-hmm. like how we're kind of drunk history, you know, figuring out a way to like make it entertaining without losing them. Yeah. But I loved that freaking series. Yeah. Okay. So good. Well, this is a fun fact that I find hilarious. The SARS children were raised as simply as possible. They slept on rock-hard cots with no pillows. They had to take cold baths, and they were expected to do chores all around the house, and they had to do needlework that would end up being sold at charity events. Not the typical lifestyle of what you'd consider, like, emperors. (laughs) I don't know if that speaks more to just Russia, or is this a cultural thing or what's happening here? Because I, I feel like it might <laughs> lean towards like the religious side of things because I believe they were Russian Orthodox, if I remember correctly, which is kind of like somewhat similar to Catholicism in like the strict, very strict like rules and things you're supposed to follow, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know, I'm not. Sure. This is new information for me, too. (laughs) I think they are, because I know later in the story, they end up interacting with uh, Catholic priests, Mm -hmm. which was like kind of like frowned upon for a minute. So they were probably Russian Orthodox. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so that was their big glamorous lifestyle as children. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) And Anastasia was described to be a short child with blue eyes and blonde hair, and she was known to be extremely mischievous by playing pranks on her school tutors and tripping her servants. And to be honest, she was just a huge pain in the ass. Like, (laughs) she would climb trees and refuse to get down. One time, she apparently rolled up a rock in snow and hurled it at one of her sisters during a snowball fight. That's not good. (laughs) Oh. So, like, some accounts from, like, the servants and the staff that they had described her to just be like super lively and energetic just like a rambunctious kid and other accounts said she was just pure evil like girl was a psycho <laughs> oh my gosh she did not appear like that in the dreamworks anastasia movies so. right right yeah she was not no. depicted in that way not at all anya was very relatable in dreamworks <laughs> <Anastasia>. anya <laughs> 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think it kind of just depends. Like, some people might find it hilarious if she's, like, playing pranks on people, and maybe it goes a little too far sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing throwing snowball rocks and tripping people is it yeah. goes a step beyond mischievous. Yeah. Yep. So in her younger years, she received education from her mother, who taught the girls spelling and prayers. But as she got older, her and her sister Maria were looked after by a governess, while the two older sisters were cared for by like um, a lady in waiting, which was their mother's lady in waiting. And in addition to this, her mother relied very heavily on a man named Grigory Rasputin, who was a Russian peasant and considered, like, a wandering holy man. And, like, shit got really weird with this dude. Really, really weird. Really weird. (laughs) So it seems like, for the most part, as you would imagine in royal emperor lifestyles, the mom wasn't doing, like, a ton of, like, looking after her kids like she had a bunch of people that were doing that work for her and for whatever reason this guy was one of those people he wasn't really looking over them but he was like counseling them and he was like a religious figure and she like really promoted him to be like a friend to her kids and she wanted her children to like confide in him and look at him as like almost like a relative or just yeah. like a really close friend, but like have like a really personal bond to this dude. And so that was kind of the dynamic that was happening here. And like reason all, number as far as like five million why the general Russian public did not like the Tsarina. Mm. There we go. Yeah. Yes. And it gets worse. And so, like, according to the family, this was a very innocent, normal friendly relationship between adult and children. However, one of the governesses, whose name was Sophia, she, like, lost her shit one day when she found this guy, like, in the nursery with all of the children while they were in their nightgowns, like, at nighttime. And, like, she made a huge fuss about it, which, like, all the power to her. That's totally normal reaction. (laughs) Like, especially just being in the year 2021 and knowing what the world ends up like with mm-hmm. old men and children. Yeah. Um. So she, like, flipped her shit and, was like, went to the parents and was like, this dude cannot be in their nursery. This is totally inappropriate. Caused a big scene about it. And so the dad, Nicholas, agreed and was like, okay, fine. We'll tell him he can't go in the nursery anymore. But like the mom was not that cool with it. And she was like really annoyed because she's like, he's our friend. He does so much for us. He's a confidant. Like she was very like almost offended or put back that this woman, Sophia, would even suggest anything inappropriate could be happening. And like maybe inappropriate things weren't happening, but just like... It was a weird situation. Yeah. And then... A little, like, backstory on Rasputin, and I don't know exactly when this incident happened. This is the first I've heard of it. But he had controversy, and there was so many, like, rumors going on about him, and maybe he had a relationship with the Tsarina, and he was, you know... Yeah, so there's so many rumors, and part of me wonders if that came into play at some point. Um, I don't know if that was before or after this incident, but Rasputin was, like, a really... um, weird character (laughs) right right and i think there are also some 
it's just so deeply rooted that relationship and it has weird elements to it in that a lot of why Rasputin became such a huge part of the Romanov family was because he had promised he would he could cure uh Alexei which maybe you're going to touch on that mm-hmm. Melissa but Alexei had hemophilia and mm-hmm. which means you know the slightest injury could mean that he bleeds to death mm-hmm. and so I know a lot of Rasputin's hold on the family was that he had threatened them that you know if they got rid of him that he wouldn't. Alexi would. Alexi would die within the next six months. Interesting. You know, he, yeah, and so I didn't find any of that in my research. Yeah, yeah. So I, he just had a heavy hold on this family. Uh-huh. Yeah, I feel like he could be an episode all on his own, separate from this. I mean, like obviously they're part of his story, but like he he's a weird, very strange, controversial character in Russian history. It's crazy. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need to look more into this dude. Yeah. So after like all of this was brought to light, mm-hmm. like I said, it urgently brought to a halt of this dude going into their nursery and like having any like uh availability to them went like in the nighttime in their nightgowns. Um, but the children were, like, able to recognize that, like, shit was going down. And there was tension building and there was, like, drama happening. And from what I read in the accounts, like, they were pretty bummed out about it because they really liked this guy. And they also really liked their governess, Sophia. So they felt like they were in the middle of this, like, ongoing tension of people that they really cared about on opposite ends of the spectrum. But nevertheless... The mother and Alexandra ended up firing Sophia because I'm pretty sure because of what happened. Like she just it got to a point where she's like, screw you, you're fired. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whistleblower got the can. Yes, basically. <laughs> and but that wasn't like the end of the fight for Sophia. She got fired, but like game wasn't over for her. <sighs> so she went straight to like the extended family members of the Romanovs and basically like confided in them saying like I'm not comfortable with like what's going on with this Rasputin dude he's in their room da 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 and uh, it created a massive scandal and it spread like absolute wildfire and like from what I read at this point there was never any like proof again that he had done anything inappropriate she just felt like what was happening was inappropriate and it wasn't being taken seriously by the parents and so she took it upon herself to bring it up and then tell more people and it really spread like crazy. <laughs> Eventually uh the father Nicholas told Rasputin like you got to skip town like this is getting out of control because I think at one point Eventually in the village, like somebody ended up like creating a bunch of like pornographic cartoons of him with the children that were like going like horrible. I know horrible, disgusting, but like these things were like getting around to people and it was like the laughing stock and the rumors. And so it was just like really escalating to a really not good level publicly. Mm And so he was like, "You like, sorry, dude, but you got to bail. <laughs> like, shit's not, like, cool over here. Yeah. Even though the mother was not happy about that. She mm. was pissed that Nicholas told Rasputin to, like, skip town. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he skipped town and he apparently went off on a pilgrimage to Palestine. I don't know how long he was there, but he eventually got murdered. And I don't know if he got murdered in Palestine or somewhere else because I didn't do like a ton of background on him. So maybe you guys know. I but actually don't. I have he no. did leave. 
And apparently, even while he was gone in pil- uh, on his pilgrimage, the family continued to maintain contact forever until his death. So, and I think even at some points while he was on this pilgrimage or when he'd come home, they were still like secretly seeing him and things like that until he died. Wow. So that's that scandal. Very weird. Yeah. And if anyone is interested, there's a museum in St. Petersburg that has a 12 inch long penis that is supposedly Rasputin's. What? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He was known to to have a very large member. Member. <laughs> the holy man, the wanderer, was known to just be like well, packing some heat. Of, yeah, that's why he's such an interesting character. Is like he was. Yeah, he's this holy man. He's this like peasant that rose through the ranks and whatever. But then he also was like it was rumored to like sleep with women on the mm-hmm. nights of their marriage because he had a huge schlong. Like, <laughs> it, like it, he's a really interesting story. Like. Yeah. I I doubt any of it is real. Like, honestly, it's probably all rumor that has morphed into something else. Yeah, seriously. Wait, so there's like a statue with a huge cock? It's a jar. It's a jar that has a 12-inch penis in it. If you Google right now Rasputin's penis, do it in your incognito tab. Uh, (laughs) You will see a picture of it. It's in a museum in St. Petersburg. And it's been rumored for years to belong to Rasputin, although there is some speculation whether oh, that's true or not. My you God, see it, right? It's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> I'm looking at it in a jar. I need to see it. Hold on. Is oh, it in a jar or is it on a plaque? I'm it should at- be in a jar. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of that someone holding it up. That is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. Interesting. <laughs> This is why no woman ever wants dick pics. Because the dick in general is just like borderline foul. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the, it's like a, a disease called like giganticism that just affects a certain part of the body? Yes. I wonder if he had a giganticism. That is, so th- is this an actual real life penis in a jar? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I believe so. It looks real. <laughs> I but why is it like it is. erect? Or is I, it not erect? And then that's even more terrifying. Science, man. <laughs> I don't know. That is so out of fucking control. Yeah. yeah. So he's a cool, uh, not so cool character. To oh us. my god, I can't even believe I'm looking at this guy's dick. That is yeah. so gnarly. <laughs> Did you not think that that was going to come up uh, in this episode? I thought it was like, going to be like a statue, like cement of the penis in length. No. Not like human flesh it's floating it's fleshy. in a fucking v- vase. Yeah, no, it's yeah. fleshy, all right. <laughs> so god. next time you're in St. Petersburg, go check that it out. That is absolutely disgusting. I... Would say I'd put this on Instagram, but by all means, I don't want to just destroy everybody's lives by having to witness that. So maybe yeah. I'll link it in the episode description because you guys need to see this huge floating cock. It or is really absolutely just, disgusting. Really just Google search Rasputin's penis. But again, do it in the incognito tab. Yeah, you oh heard it here. First. Learn from Rachel's mistakes. Incognito tab. Whew, all right. Well, back to the story. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry for derailing us a little bit. That, there. I know. I mean, I'm really or by happy a I, by a lot of bit, if you know what I, I mean. <laughs> a 
high and 12, 12 inches. I saw that, I'm like, I feel like you like take a minute to breathe. That there's like needs to be a <laughs> Do recovery we need a moment? moment after that. Yeah. yeah, let me drink the 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 white Russian. The white Russian. Oh my god. Okay, so. Now all this big cock Rasputin drama is over with. <laughs> Anastasia eventually becomes a teenager and World War One is now in like full effect. So her mother and her two older sisters ended up becoming Red Cross nurses for World War One. But Anastasia and her younger or older sister, but one of the two youngers, Maria, they were too young to become the nurses. So they ended up just going to hospitals, visiting wounded soldiers, and they ended up playing games with them, checkers and billards to try and lift their spirits. So pretty much involved in World War One at this point. And also at this time, their father, Nicholas II, started generating quite a bit of public hostility. People were fucking pissed about him. So to backtrack a little bit before they're even mad at him right now, he apparently was never really ever trained or inclined to rule from the beginning. Yeah. So that was already like one mark off for him in terms of like the entire country's eyes. So when he started like really fucking up, it was they were pretty quick quick to just be like, okay, we're over this dude. Like, f you, you shouldn't have been in rule to begin with, and now you're really dropping the ball here. So we're pretty much done with you. Mm-hmm. So he was in rule during the disastrous outcome of the Russo-Japanese War, which led to the Russian Revolution of 1905, and he apparently only diffused all of that after signing a manifesto that promised representative government and basic civil liberties in Russia. Mm-hmm. But however, he soon retracted like everything that he had agreed to prior. Yep. And uh, that is what like led to this big chaos. Mm-hmm. And the Bolsheviks Mm-hmm. How you say it? Bolsheviks yeah, and like other it. revolutionary groups ended up winning like major support in terms mm-hmm. of the country. And so in 1914, he had led the country into another very costly war and food became scarce in Russia. Soldiers were dying rapidly and they were just getting defeated like one after the other after the other. other. And so... That's when shit just kind of hit the fan. They were like, mm-hmm. all right, we're fucking done with you. Like, you haven't done anything good for us. In March of 1917, soldiers basically showed up on the property and began seizing royal property. And so much pressure was coming in that he basically agreed to, like, abdicate the throne in order to, like, prevent a full-blown Russian civil war. Mm-hmm. So Anastasia and her family were exiled to the Ural Mountains in Tobolsk, Siberia, Mm -hmm. and they were placed under house arrest, which they were like living in some kind of house that they called the House of Special Purpose. And so they were literally under house arrest here. Like Mm -hmm. they couldn't leave. They couldn't even go outside. They couldn't open windows. Like they were arrested for the most part. And like... It wasn't cool. Like, nobody wants to be, like, arrested. You know what I mean? Like, they were not, like, doing so well, obviously, the minute they got rushed out to these mountains and put into this house. Like, they were stressed. They were panicking. Like, tension was high. People were freaking. But 
in addition to that, they were also, like, worried that they were going to, like, people were going to come in and capture them. So, in the event that they were going to be captured, Anastasia and her siblings decided they were going to, like, sew jewels into their clothing. Mm-hmm. Because they had heard, like, through some chain, like, through, like, upper chains that, like, other people had been captured and that that's what, like, they got, like, strip search and stuff like that and they got all of their stuff taken away. So, they're like, okay, we're going to sew these jewels and all of, like, our diamonds and things into our clothes because they won't be able to find them if they're, like, sewn in with the fabric. Mm -hmm. And so that was what they're doing, just fully panicked. People are coming for us. But regardless of this, like, overwhelming stress, they were still trying to find ways to just, like – live peacefully yeah. as they can and so her and her uh her and her siblings would often like put on a bunch of different plays for the family and apparently they were all laughing with like the howling with laughter and having a grand old time for the most that they could given the situation but like really there was nothing to do other than like cooking and cleaning up and putting on plays and reading like there was nothing going on so they literally were like arrested for almost like an entire year Mm -hmm. they just had to be in this house i know another element of it too was that they weren't even allowed to speak um they they were only allowed to thank you yeah yeah they were only allowed to speak russian because the guards wanted to know what exactly they were saying at all times oh really so they didn't even trust their guards oh no uh, no, like, the, I mean, the people that were watching them and stuff, they had to ring a bell to request permission to go to the bathroom. Um, you know, there was virtually no ventilation in the rooms that they were staying in because all the windows were covered. Mm-hmm. Their food and water was rationed. Uh, I mean, outside of what you were saying, you know, p- putting together these plays and stuff, the only enjoyment they really had was they were generally allowed out for half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the afternoon for some time in, like, the garden that was on the grounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So not a good time. No, not at all. Um, also, just like, I mean, not that they live some glitz and glamour life to begin with, but also like what a strange dynamic to go from being like these emperors of the entire country to like being in jail, basically. Right. And like mm-hmm. your children, too. So definitely tension was high. And then a little bit over a year later from their original like arresting in July of 1918, Local priests conducted, like, a private church service for the family, which I think they'd done, like, randomly every couple of months for them. And they reported that Anastasia and her family fell to their knees during the prayer and that the girls had become super despondent and hopeless. And they were no longer singing with them. They were no longer, like, engaging as they used to. And the priest noticed, like, a super dramatic change in their demeanor since his last visit and even was quoted to say that something has happened to them in here. Wow. I mean, it's been a year. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm sure their mental health is, like, at the brink. Mm-hmm. And then right around the same time, unfortunately, a civil war could not be prevented in Russia and it happened. And so on the night of July 16th to the 17th of 1918, so like really shortly after this priest was there, he uh, the family was awakened and told to get dressed. And they were told that they were being moved to a new location to ensure their safety as violence was like getting closer and closer. And once they were all dressed, the family and like 
the small group of servants that like had stayed with them when they moved to this house. So the family and the servants, they were all herded into a small room in the house's basement and they were told to just like wait and hang out there. As well as the family dog, which like fuck you. <laughs> Hate when the pets get involved, you know? Yeah. And so it's reported that like uh Alexandra and or I'm sorry, Anastasia and her brother Alexei, they sat in chairs that were provided by the guards because their mother had requested that like the two youngest like sit in these chairs or whatever. And so the other family I think was like standing next to them mm-hmm. or behind them. And then after several minutes, the guards entered the room, led by a man named Yakov Yervosky, and he was the commandant of the Special House of Purpose, which is the house that they were being under house arrest in. And so he quickly informed the Tsar and his family that they, that on the orders of the Supreme Soviet Council of Russia, they were to be executed. Mm. And the Tsar had only enough time to say, What? And turned to his family before he was killed by several bullets. Mm -hmm. And then the Tsarina, the wife, and her daughter Olga, I guess, like, instantly tried to make a sign of the cross before they were killed. But they were killed anyway after they did that. And then the rest of the family, so that would be, like, three other children, including Anastasia as well as all of the other servants and the dog were all shot and killed, like, in order of how they were, like, standing or seating. Um, And then apparently, like, one person ended up not dying in the initial shooting, and that was the mother's maid. Her name was Anna Dimondova. And she initially, like, survived the first round of shootings or second or third or whatever it was. and But she eventually was stabbed to death. Um, while she was on, like, the back wall of the basement trying to defend herself with a small pillow that she had carried to the basement with her that was filled with precious gems and jewels. So she ended up dying, and they were all killed. And then in the following, like, years that this whole family was murdered, there was multiple speculations arose that Anastasia and her brother Alexei, I believe, uh, might have survived the execution because rumor had it that they were shielded from bullets due to the family jewels that they had sewn into their clothing that they were in preparation to like have hidden there if captures were to come. Right. So th- they're saying that like jewels, diamonds, whatever were in their clothes and bullets were like ricocheted off of them and the children did not die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which sounds insane. Like, and are jewels, like, can a jewel withstand a bullet? I mean, to further lend to that theory, too, is that when their bodies were eventually found, you know, the bodies of the Romanovs, because uh, they had been placed in really shallow graves, when they were eventually found, they did not find the bodies of Alexei, and they knew at least one of the younger girls, so either Maria, Maria. or Anastasia, yeah. right? And so that further fueled this rumor that perhaps Alexei and or one of the younger girls had survived because in addition to these stories about the jewels that were hidden in their clothing, also we don't find their bodies when we find all the other bodies. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, Anastasia's fate was particularly prone to these claims as 
a number of women over the years claimed to be her. Mm-hmm. And that's where you guys come in. <laughs> yes. That is where we come in. So we're really, really excited to talk uh, this week about a woman named Anna Anderson, who was the most prolific Anastasia Romanov impersonator. And I will give you credit, Melissa, for keeping the uh, Russian, the proper Russian uh, pronunciation of Anastasia that entire time. I can't guarantee that I will do the same. (laughs) Yeah. So where our story starts is on February 27th, 1920. So this is just two years after the tragic Romanov execution that you just talked about. On this date, an unknown woman, she was rescued before jumping off of a bridge in Berlin. She had zero papers on her to identify her. Even her clothing had been stripped of its labels. So there weren't even like labels on her clothing to help identify her that way. And then one other super odd thing about her was that she had scars all over her body. She was taken to an asylum where she refused to speak for at least six months. When she finally, I know that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I last (laughs) six minutes without talking. So yeah. (laughs) When she finally did speak up, she spoke German, but it was described to be German with a Russian accent, which is interesting. Two years later, a fellow patient at the psychiatric facility began claiming that she had met the Grand Duchess Tatiana while she was a patient at the same asylum. But when Baroness Sophie Buxhoveden, who was someone that uh, knew the Romanov family well, when she went to visit this mysterious Miss Unknown, you know, at the hospital to see for herself if she could be Tatiana, she stated, you know, after seeing her, there's no way she could be Tatiana because she was too short. And the unknown woman's response to this was, quote, I did not say that I was Tatiana, which I think is a really clever response because it's very open ended, right? <laughs> Take it however you would like. So some were convinced that she was indeed the daughter of the last czar, this unknown woman. And when this mystery woman was presented with a list of the names of the four daughters of the last czar, she one by one crossed off each of the names on the list, but left the Grand Duchess Anastasia's name open. It was also suggested that perhaps she had received all of those mysterious scars that were on her body from the assassination attempt. So I think now let's check out a picture of her uh, I sent you a link, but I can also just share my screen. No, yeah, it's okay. You... I have the link. Okay. I so this one is it. the the Anna Anderson picture. All right, hold on. Oh, here it is. Well, and real quick before we look at it. Mm-hmm. So if Anastasia had died around, I think she was seventeen years old when she died. This woman that they found two years later looked to be in, like, the same age group? Correct. Yeah. So she she looked to be, like, early to mid-20s. Okay. All right. I have the picture up. And just tell me what your your first initial thoughts are. Picture on the left, of course, is a known picture of the Grand Duchess Anastasia when she was younger. And on the right-hand side is this woman named Anna Anderson. I don't think they look anything alike. Thank you. Like, Thank at all. You. Like, they yes. look like completely different people. Like, yeah. the imposter looks like she has, like, she has such, like, more prominent features. Like, really kind of, like, deep eyes. Like, very, like, distinctive eyebrow style. 
she has like a different nose, like almost like an yeah. Angelina Jolie nose where it like tips on the end. Totally. The Bigger actual lips. real Anastasia, she's more she looks like like a white woman. I feel like this other lady doesn't even look white. Like she could be like Italian or something like that. Yeah. So something we had talked about before, you know, when Leah and I had looked at these pictures is that people's faces do change, right? As you uh, get older, I have pictures of myself as a kid where my nose looks a hundred times bigger, but I think my nose is still the same size this has always been. I just grew into it. I think it kind of yeah. like evened out. Um but it still retained its shape. You know what I mean? So and when like my husband, he didn't know me as a kid or even in high school, he sees pictures of me when we go over to my parents' house and it's like me at five years old. And he's like, it's I have a bunch of siblings. There'll be a picture of all of us in the picture, right? And he instantly is always able to point me out. Like, yeah, that's yeah, you. You same. look you mm-hmm. you don't change that much. While you yeah. do change in some ways, yeah. maybe you grow into your nose, maybe you finally figure out how to actually pluck your eyebrows. You don't actually change all that much. It's like the shape of her face is completely different. And the thing that we talked about that you hit on to um, is that like it's her eyebrows for me. Her eyebrows are completely different in this older version of her, you know, um, the Anna Anderson imposter. Um they're com- it's completely different. It just looks like a completely different person to me. And you're, I think I said made the same comment that she looks like, like South European, like it Italian or like Southern France. Yeah, almost like almost like Mediterranean. Yeah, almost. I get Mediterranean for sure. Yeah, like I think she has very distinctive features from her eyebrows to her eyes to her nose to her lips to the shape of her chin. Like, none of it looks like the other girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, some people thought she could be, and so she took this and she ran with it. She began Mm -hmm. referring to herself as Anna Tchaikovsky, Anna obviously being short for Anastasia. And after leaving the asylum, she was actually housed by those who believed her claims. For the next decade, actually, Tchaikovsky would move from castle to castle at the generosity of her supporters. So mm-hmm. who was her supporters? It would be like royalty from oh, across really? Europe. It would be um, uh, the Romanovs had an extended family that uh, some of the Romanov extended family got escaped from Russia during the um, revolution. And so maybe some of them might have supported it. It was it was a lot of like, um, how would you describe it? Like upper class mm-hmm. slash royalty from throughout Europe mostly yeah it was very divided her her story Mm -hmm. hit like media attention then and it was like out and people were seeing it and hearing about her and so they were like looking into it like oh shit okay makes sense exactly yeah and it was definitely very divided within the royal family you know you have some that just so desperately want Mm -hmm. for their niece or their cousin or you know whatever the relation to the Romanov family was just wanted someone to have survived that brutal execution. Mm -hmm. And so they were desperate to believe that she was who she said she was. And then of course you have on the flip side, people in the Royal family that are calling bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So some examples of both sides of that, uh, there's a couple stories that we, we looked into. So one particular story is that um, of Zina Tolstoy, who was a close friend of the Romanov family. So when she came to visit Tchaikovsky after, you know, claiming that she was 
I'm like, I did half Anastasia and half (laughs) Anastasia. I don't know which one to do. Anastasia. I'm going to stick with that. Um, So Tolstoy played a song on the piano that apparently sent uh, Tchaikovsky. Did I say that right? Okay. Tchaikovsky into tears. So she was like crying hysterical on the floor and Tolstoy began crying too and asked Anna, do you remember this song? And uh, Anna replied, yes. So Tolstoy intentionally played a song that um, she used to apparently play the Romanovs when they were children. This particular story always it never convinced me when Rachel originally told it to me. I just called BS on it because because if I were impersonating, you know, Anastasia, I would know that this person coming to see me is evaluating and testing everything I do. Right. The entire interaction with her is going to be a test. So I would know she's going to play a song that is meaningful. And I just all I need to do is react. I, sure. I could cry. I could mm-hmm. begin laughing, whatever it is. It, my my reaction to that song could be shown as proof that I am this person. So anyways, mm-hmm. that yeah. one I didn't believe. Um, there's also this other story in which a former nanny for the Romanoff family came to visit um, Anna when she wasn't feeling well. Uh, Anna asked her if she would massage her head with cologne, which was something that this nanny had done back in the day only for Anastasia. So this one is a little more convincing for me because that's a weird thing to ask. Like, Rachel, would you come rub my head with cologne? (laughs) Well, I actually learned about this in my story that I, like, didn't talk about it for some reason, but that, like, uh, I should have talked about this, actually, because it's funny because I can relate to it. Uh, Apparently, when she was a kid, she had a couple health problems. One was that she had bunions. Mm, And unfortunately, that's what I can connect with. Uh, (laughs) Join join the club. This is the bunion club. (laughs) And in fact, we will be bringing up bunions later. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, she had bunions, which um, are, like, those bumps on the outside of your feet, like, under your big toe. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never heard of children having those. They normally say that grown women develop them because of the kinds of shoes that they wear. Or maybe it's genetic. But um, I have bunion casts that I can put on my feet that I wear around my boyfriend and let him stare at them and laugh. Um, but yeah, you can literally like try and like re- they like like fix it on your own. They have yeah. like all these weird things you can put on around your toes and your feet to try and correct it. But anyway, she apparently had bunions and she also had something wrong with her back that required her to get biweekly massages. Mm. So she was getting massaged multiple times a week while living with her family and that was one of the asshole things about her was she every time the masseuse would come she'd hide and not come out she hated getting massaged oh my god i yeah i know right (laughs) yeah i have nothing to say but speaking to that then perhaps that's public information you know in the years following the romanov execution there are stories circulating about how the grand duchess anastasia used to get used to get you know weekly massages or something so perhaps mm-hmm. this story here while it is i do think unusual. that's unusual 
it's unusual yeah. and it's a unique twist that while you're massaging me, please also massage like cologne into my skin. That's a yeah, little that unusual. I don't know anything about. Uh, but perhaps this is public knowledge. Yeah. Who knows? Anyways, others reported having very different experiences when interacting with Anna Tchaikovsky. So one aunt in particular came to visit her to scope out the situation, to check her out. Um, and she gave a false name when she came to visit and halfway through their meal she proclaimed don't you recognize me don't you know your aunt irene that was my grandma's name um to which tchaikovsky responded by like storming off and not returning so didn't even like acknowledge it just walked away and there were other occasions similar to this where other Romanoff, you know, extended Romanoff family members or friends would come to visit her and she would just flat out refuse to see them um Perhaps she was afraid they would immediately discount her claims upon seeing her like I would. Or perhaps she was afraid they would ask her questions that she didn't know the answer to. Who knows? I, yeah, I mean, yes, that for in my in my personal opinion, yes, that is her reason for not seeing them and for acting the way she acted with them. Um, it also has to be noted that um, Anna Tchaikovsky couldn't speak Russian, which sus uh, <laughs> she also couldn't speak english or french and these were all languages that anastasia could speak um her inability to speak russian was particularly wor worrisome since that was the mother language of the romanov family obviously um we talked in our episode about how we understand it, it we did an episode on on anna anderson as well and we talked about how we understand that trauma like we talked about trauma a lot and it's yeah, we did. and it's it's like effects on our memory and all that kind of stuff and how it can make people forget things from their past but i am clearly very skeptical about how someone could forget their native language yeah, yeah. i mean i think you could forget memories that like a birthday or a tragic event that occurred or you know a, where you went to school mm -hmm. but like just the when you open your eyes and start speaking, like, mm -hmm. how do you forget that? Yeah. yeah. And that, there's like, I feel like there's like house and like other like, w you know, stupid medical dramas on TV that like talk about, how, and I'm assuming it's based on reality, uh, talk about how like language is such a specific part of your brain that like even people that have severe like head tr head trauma like they hit mm -hmm. their head and they can't remember anything and they don't they don't know who they are they don't know anything they can still speak their native language right they can still speak and interact with people because that's such a specific part of the human brain so i don't buy that this person that that's the most compelling reason for me that this girl is not who she says she is because she can't speak russian which is stupid well did it help fight her case that she chose to not speak for six months after she was found I don't know. I I mean, <laughs> when I look back at her story, I don't think in that six months she was, you know, initially intending to portray the Grand Duchess Anastasia. I think it was there was, you know, rumors going around. She was unfortunately in a psychiatric asylum. Right. So there were other people that were having delusions there. And one of those people said oh i met the grand duchess tatiana while i was in this asylum mm -hmm. and that got the gears in my opinion got the gears turning in her head that like oh i could create a new life for myself and that new life mm -hmm. could include being the lost royalty grand duchess 
being royalty. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. Honestly, I can't blame her if you have a crappy life and then all of a sudden someone is like, oh, are you? Are you a princess? Do you want to come li- live in my palace and I can wait on you? Like, I'd be like, yeah, like, yes, I am. Yes, thank you. But it's just, I don't buy it. Like, yeah, knowing what we know now and looking at it, you know, critically without any emotion, you know, like, like Rachel said, there's many people that were emotionally involved. They wanted this to be their lost niece or whatever, or their lost um, empress. Mm-hmm. And, so they're emotionally involved. I don't have that. And so I'm looking at this critically <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is dumb. This is stupid. Totally. So even though we're all feeling those feels, right, uh, there were still a lot of people that believed that she was the Grand Duchess. In fact, there was some physical evidence to prove that Tchaikovsky was indeed Anastasia. They had a graphologist analyze Tchaikovsky's handwriting and determined that it was identical to that of Anastasia. And then I I know. And then like you already shared, she Tchaikovsky had bunions just like Anastasia and had well known. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Which it's like that, like, welcome. 100% of us in this Zoom meeting have bunions. (laughs) So, So, I mean, are the odds that great? But perhaps they were very rare. I do not know the history of bunions. Uh, But she, Tchaikovsky and Anastasia both had bunions. And there were also some pretty well-known anthropologists that confirmed that no two faces could be more alike without belonging to the same person. Wow. That is so weird to me. Agreed. And so the way that I look at that is, again, maybe there's an emotional pool or perhaps I'm not a specialist here, right? I look at that picture. They look nothing alike to me, but I don't know anything about bone structure and the actual scientific logistical ways that a face changes as it matures. So these are specialists here. Maybe they have, you know, some say so. There was one particular member of the family, though, the Tsarina Alexandra's brother, who remained unconvinced that Tchaikovsky could be the lost princess. He hired a private investigator to determine who this Anna Tchaikovsky person really was. And it was through that research and that investigation that it was revealed that Anna Tchaikovsky was actually a woman named Franziska Shanskowska. And Shinskowska had been a factory worker in Poland. When she learned that her husband, or it could be her fiance, it just depends on, you know, which source you're reading. When she learned that he had died during the World War, she fell into a deep depression. Shortly thereafter, while working at this factory, she actually dropped a grenade and it exploded. Although she was only minorly injured, some reports say that the explosion actually killed someone right in front of her. Following this incident, she actually went through two stints at two separate mental institutions, both of which she allegedly escaped from prior to the suicide attempt on the bridge in 1920 that we already talked about. Yeah. Whoa. So when all of this was revealed, Francisca's brother Felix visited her and confirmed that she was indeed his sister even though she said she did not recognize him. So I, of course, have a side-by-side picture for us to check out now of Franziska Shenskowska around the time that she was working at a factory and a picture of Anna Tchaikovsky 10 years later when all of this information was revealed. 
Okay, so the picture on the left is her when she's at the factory, and the one on the right is her when this is revealed. Right. The picture on the left looks way more like the first picture I was looking at, where, like, Mm -hmm. the eyes are dark and, like, prominent, and she looks like she's Mediterranean or something. The picture on the right, she doesn't look as much that way. Yeah, and I think, like, lighting is probably playing a big role in this, but for me... This looks much more like the same person than the other one did. It's, totally. You, look at their eyebrows. The lips Again, are the same. The lips are exactly the same. The their eyebrows. The pretty much the same. It looks like they might even both have the same crooked nose. It's I the same hair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So same person. <laughs> okay. Quick question. You said she dropped the grenade. That was an intentional dropping. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. She was in like a deep depression at the time. So it could so have been an could, accident. Mm-hmm, could have been just like a mindless accident. But that also could explain the many scars that she had on her body and also explain between that and learning that her significant other had died during the war could lead to mm-hmm. you know her stays at psychiatric hospitals. Yeah. And so, so I might have missed this when you were saying it, but when she dropped the grenade and the injuries happened and then she was later found ready to jump this bridge, do we mm-hmm. know how much time had like passed between those events? It had to have been a number of years because like Rachel oh, okay. said, they she had gone in and out of possibly yeah. multiple other institutions. I just didn't know if this was like within a year she'd been like in and out of institutions and like all this chaos was happening in like a short time span or like I don't know had if years we know gone that. by. Okay. I, yeah. I was going to say that's a great question. We know that the boyfriend or fiance died during the war, the First World War, which began in 1914. Um and then we know that the bridge incident happened in 1920. So, so I guess it could be anywhere between 1914 and 1920. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So following all of this publicity, um, Tchaikovsky made a move to the U.S. where she checked into a hotel under the name of Miss Anderson. And um, from here forward, Anna Tchaikovsky um, also known as Franziska um, Shenskowska, <laughs> um, also known as the Grand Duchess Anastasia, is now and moving forward known as Anna Anderson. So that's where the Anna, Anna Anderson name comes from. So Anderson had many supporters here in the U.S. as well and continued to live a very similar lifestyle as she had overseas um, with supporters essentially funding her and providing her housing and a luxurious lifestyle. But she... I'm loving your face, Melissa. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, how? We're doing it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing something wrong here. I don't know. (laughs) But it came to be known during this time that she clearly had some severe mental health issues. There are stories of her super wild behavior, um, particularly her rage. Uh, Stories of her running around naked on a rooftop and another story of her, this part grosses me out, killing her own pet parakeet. Yeah. So the New York Supreme Court ended up committing her to yet another mental hospital for a year. And then following this, she returned to Germany, where she was placed in another mental institution. So while back in, yeah, not, I mean, 
I can't say not the most fun time because she was living in palaces before the mental institutions, but I'm not having a really good time right now. So while back in Germany, the this was around the time of the Nazi government, um, and they arranged for Shenskowska, a.k.a. Anna Anderson, or the Shenskowska family to meet Anna Anderson, again to confirm her identity once and for all. But because this meeting was arranged by the Nazis, um, the Shinskowska family was told that if they did not accept Anderson as one of their own and say, yes, this is our daughter, our sister, our family, then she would immediately be imprisoned for um, all of, you know, claiming what she claimed. And thus the family refused to sign any affidavit stating that she was indeed their family member and not the royal Romanoff. Wait, they said she was not related to them, which yes. would assume that she was the Romanov? Yes. Okay. Right. So this Even is though all... previously her brother had said, yes, that's my this sister. This is my sister. But yeah. this yes. is now under the Nazi government, and the Nazi government believes that she's lying. And so if they were to say, yep, you're right, Nazis, she is lying, that is actually my sister. Got it. Then they would imprison her. Yeah. Got it. So this is all really unfortunate because... It, it it muddied the water a bit. Mm -hmm. It continues to fuel the mystery for some. Um, it, like, for instance, did they refuse to sign these affidavits because they really didn't believe Anna Anderson was their family? My opinion is no. <laughs> or because they know for a fact that she was and out of love for their family, they did not allow, um, they did not want her to be imprisoned by the Nazis. So they lied and said like, you know, she's not our family, right? Mm -hmm. So either way, this would be the last time the Shinskowska family would ever see Anna Anderson. So she fell once again into a deep, de deep depression after this um, when she was located in her cottage in 1968. So many years later. Whoa. Yeah, she was found semi-conscious. She was surrounded by some 60 cats that had destroyed her living conditions, which would make a very compelling episode of Hoarders, which I'm obsessed with. <laughs> oh my god. A very 60 compelling cats. Episode. Yeah. So sadly, all 60 of these cats would have to be put down. Oh my god. And when Anderson found out about this after re relocating to yet another men's mental institution, she took up a supporter's offer to return back to the United States. So she went back, came back to the US. And then just before her six-month visa was about to expire here in the US, Anderson married a man 20 years younger than her, get it, Anna, um, I know, named Jack Manaham, who was a very well-off um, man, but they, they lived a hoarder lifestyle, um, which uh, they accumulated way too many animals, and Anderson continued to be in and out of mental institutions until her death from pneumonia, which occurred in 1984. So, yeah. rocky times. I cannot even begin with my thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. So to summarize this whole thing, like we mentioned when we, you know, started our little segment of the episode and like you also mentioned Melissa, the bodies of the royal family, um they were buried, they would later be found. They would not be tested though until 1991. 
And when they were initially found, you know, we already kind of talked about this, the bodies of Alexei and then either Maria or Anastasia were not amongst them. And this fueled all those flames for Anna Anderson that, you know, perhaps she'd been telling the truth all this time. But when they were all found, when the bodies were officially tested, DNA would conclude that by 1991, it would conclude that Anna Anderson was officially confirmed to not be a Romanov after all. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. But she never actually vocally said out loud if she was or, well, she said she was, but she never admitted she was not, even when her brother called her out, right? Correct. Correct. She always, always continued to claim that she was Anastasia. Wild story, right? What wild madness. Like, she was the epitome of a cat lady. Like, oh, for sure. Like, yeah. that would be the poster child for Cat Lady. Yeah. <laughs> that is wild. I am like, what the fuck with her getting married? <laughs> and, like, who, what guy was this? And did he know about her entire history? Which, and that like, was my question, too. But Rachel was like, you have to, you have to remember that at this time, because she got married in the 60s, right? So this is what, like, 30 years after I mean after she was initially found and claimed to be Anastasia there she still has supporter like she still Mm -hmm. has people that regardless of all of these these things that disproved and you know proved she was not the um the Grand Duchess like people were still like no this is her so like I'm like I find it interesting though that her story would make way to the states like how did she develop american supporters was this that national of news yeah i mean like imagine it'd be like the royal you know the uh, royal british family mm-hmm. um this is you know s- something happening to them we we yeah, know about that totally. and obviously news travels a lot faster now but i mean this was think about this is around the same time um as the titanic uh this is you know world war one news still traveled about the world war you know news is still a global thing at this point in time even Mm -hmm. though it's not the same picture we have today so it it was a national or a a international global yeah an international global story yeah i think that was a great question because i think that we as americans are really fascinated by royalty Totally. We've never had it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people like the idea of being celebrity adjacent and having an association with a celebrity or celebrity mm-hmm. adjacent person, right? And so I think that there was definitely a pool, for example, for this gentleman that she ended up marrying, that he was like, oh my God, I'm marrying royalty. You know, even if mm-hmm. he had to tell himself that, it elevates you and it elevates your status and the mm-hmm. way you feel about yourself, right? Yeah, it's I mean, it's exactly the same today. It's people have this fascination with celebrity. And even if she's a celebrity that her real origins are questioned, she's still a celebrity. She's still this thing that people are constantly talking about. And um, so just to tie yourself to that um, was appealing to some. Right. Yeah. So I'm just like, so one other thing I'm wondering is when they found the actual remains and were able to confirm that she was not Anastasia or Maria. She was still alive when this happened? 
She passed in the 80s and then in 91 when Got the DNA it. was assessed. That is so wild. It would have been a really fascinating story, you know, had she lived a handful of years longer just to kind of hear her reaction and to see the fallout from that, but that it's not the way that history played out. Well, would she have been arrested for, like, fraud? Like, how does that work? I don't know, because who, I mean, I don't know. Because was she receiving money like was she getting financial assistance from the romanov family because i guess they could then sue her i i don't think i don't think so i think that it was a lot of um external supporters and they weren't necessarily just paying her it wasn't like oh here's your it was like oh here come stay in my extra mansion yeah right and you know so one other thing i'm thinking about is I know that there were multiple people that had claimed to be Anastasia. Mm -hmm. Like, was she, were there people before her and then, like, she comes around and, like, how do you, so many, you would just think that after so many people have claimed it that, like, you get less, like, the more that pop up, the less believable it is. Yeah. Yeah. I I just think it was such a – I'm glad that you asked about, you know, how did us in the States know about it? It really was a global story. We all – you know, if we were to hear today that, uh, you know, there could be a lost princess somewhere, we would be fascinated. We would want to know, like, oh, my God, you know, we would start a search for her. Totally. We would all follow that story watching the news every second to when are they going to find the lost princess right and so when someone pops up and says like oh my god i'm the lost princess we're all enthralled by that story right and so it's not that far-fetched the the idea that so many people came forward and said that i'm the the lost duchess um because again wanting to be celebrity wanting to be celebrity adjacent and us as the public just absorb and soak all that in Mm -hmm. yeah that is so wild that is so fascinating yeah oh my god also like fuck her yeah (laughs) oh i i have i and i as a very empathetic person just literally that is like that's my mo i cry when someone else cries in front of me but i have very little sympathy for this girl like you're just lying to people flat out I mean, I get that she was clearly mentally unstable yeah, and dealing yeah. with a lot of severe mental health issues, but, like, she got that idea from somewhere yeah. <laughs> and, like, rolled with it. I think she was incredibly mentally unstable and yeah. had no stability in her life when she was in and out of mental institutions, yeah. oftentimes had to figure out where the hell she was going to sleep yeah. that night right so as long as this story of her being the lost duchess perpetuated she had a place to stay and it wasn't just any old place to stay it was, it was oftentimes a mansion, a totally. mansion. yeah and here i am saying like i have no sympathy for her but like I, I you're right rachel when you put it that way i'm like of course like of course rather than staying at an insane asylum i'm gonna go stay at a palace somewhere yeah but c- like could you imagine pulling that off for like decades well and then i think that's the other really interesting part of the story is it was happening at a time when news was traveling all over the place but like nowadays we'd be like we'll just do you know do a Mm -hmm. 23 and me test just test it or like just check it out but back then that wasn't you know you had to just 
use other resources to try to figure this stuff out. There was no DNA testing. There was none of no ancestry.com. Yeah. You know, you just had to use other resources to try to figure this out, to, to try to solve these mysteries. You know, in addition to, you know, where we're at now with DNA testing, also for a long period of time, all the bodies of the Romanov family had not been found yet. So that also allows for this story to continue to circulate. Totally. Well, that was absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Everybody look up, uh, you know, the 12 inch (laughs) schlong. That was absolutely fascinating, if not the craziest part of this whole story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even the research that we came with, but uh, we know about it. (laughs) (laughs) So crazy. Oh, my God. Like, it just put such another twist on our Disney Channel original Anastasia movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, yeah, just so, so interesting. So cool. And I love this little conspiracy twist on women's history amazing thank you guys so much for coming with this idea i owe it all to you guys for even bringing this up absolutely perfect thank you of course thank you for having us again this was really really fun we love coming on your show i love it um and then just before we go tell everybody remind everybody where we can find you where's your podcast your instagram email website all that kind of stuff yeah, so you can find us on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. And then we're also on TikTok at um, it's just at hashtag history, all one word. Um, and then our website, Rachel. Oh, our website is hashtag history dash pod dot com. And that's where you can find, you know, more about Leah and I. You can listen to all of our episodes there. You can check out the sources that we use to put together our episodes. We have some really cute merchandise on there. Uh, so go check that out. Yeah. Woo! Oh, my God. Also, really quick before we go, look at this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's my water bottle. I have two I have stickers that sticker on, on mine. <laughs> I have my sticker and your guys' sticker. Yeah, I have your, <laughs> I have that, that sticker, the mimosa sticker on mine. I was going to say, I'm pretty um, sure I have it on mine, too. Mine's in the kitchen, but I'm yeah. barely confident that that's on my water bottle. That's yeah, awesome. Mine's at work. Uh, yeah, I'm just sporting my hashtag history uh, sticker, guys. Go get yours um okay well thanks guys what a fun fucking episode love always having you i'm down to like the last sip of my white russian so i did oh my it good God. oh i finished I, mine like an hour ago yeah i know i've been drinking water for at least Same. the last half an hour Fuck. all right let's blame it on my flu yeah normally sure. i would be on two of these but yeah thanks guys i appreciate it love you guys thank so you. much thanks for coming on the show of course thank you, thank you. bye bye Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. I hope you loved that episode full of so much scandal, conspiracy, and corruption. And I hope you loved our guests, Leah and Rachel from Hashtag History. 
If you have friends out there that would love to learn this story about the Grand Duchess and her imposter, share this episode with them. Sharing is caring and word of mouth recommendations are the best way to support this podcast and to help us grow and flourish in this wild and crazy podcast world. If you have been enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And if you haven't yet, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast as that is the best way to support this show and to help us find people out there in the world that currently do not know we exist. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.